Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, happy Friday. Thanks for joining us on the Three Martini Lunch. We are in the midst of our year-end Three Martini Lunch Awards. The Crystal Martinis are being handed out, uh, the most prestigious political awards that could possibly be earned. Some are good, some are bad, and uh, so far we're halfway through uh, giving out these awards. So this is installment number four, Jim. Today we'll be looking at best political idea, worst political idea, and the boldest political tactics. So without any further ado, what is your best political idea for 2019? Well, my best idea of the year was Riding Between Two Scorpions, uh, (laughs) which if you didn't get for Christmas or Hanukkah, uh, you can find still find on Amazon. But I guess if I had to go political idea, Greg, I don't know about you. I felt like this was a rebuilding year for good ideas. Uh, But I I will say, look, in a year where you've seen a lot of discussion about trade wars and tariffs and, and protectionism and all that stuff, very quietly, we've actually seen a little bit chipping away at these things. And then, you know, arguments where the Trump administration has been able to work out deals where, okay, we feel like we have sufficient access to a foreign market. We will reduce our tariffs in response. Uh, the U.S.-Japan trade deal got through this year. It was ratified by the Japanese Diet, uh, which is what they call their legislature. It looks like they're all very slim. <laughs> um, the U.S. managed to get better access to the European Union markets for beef. Uh, there's some hopes that a U.S. great uh, U.K. trade deal could happen in the aftermath of Brexit coming along. We got word there was a deal with China as of this recording, and so it sounds like there was at least some backtracking of certain tariffs with that. Uh, better access for the U- for U.S. Uh, exports of soybeans and things like that. And maybe, just maybe, as of this recording, we will have the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement ratified. This is the replacement for uh nafta not everybody who's a free trade advocate is such a huge fan of it but by and large better to have that as a replacement for nafta than to get rid of nafta and then have no replacement so all in all we're seeing a little bit of movement back in the free trade direction it shows the the administration is not uh stubbornly obstinate or or making wildly unrealistic demands um you know if other countries play ball the administration is willing to play ball with them and, and we're working things out so the, the little the green shoots, as, as uh, Tim Geithner had called it during stimulus, the early signs of, OK, we've worked out our trade differences. We're starting to see some better access for uh, U.S. exports and kind of a, letting the air out of the balloon of the trade wars. This is crazy because I'm pretty much on the same thing, but not one of the deals you mentioned. Not that long ago, uh, we were seeing another surge at the southern border and President Trump uh, could not obviously find common ground now with a Democratic majority in the House for, for wall funding and for other immigration policy priorities. So what the president did was threaten tariffs on Mexico. And everyone said, this is crazy. It's only going to make things worse. Uh, They're never going to go for it. At best, you end up right where you were and you end up humiliated for even trying to make the effort. Well, lo and behold, the Mexicans not only uh, agreed to do their part on the other side of the border, uh, we never got to the tariffs. And as a result, uh, the numbers have gone down steadily. The numbers of interactions and, and arrests at the southern border of people coming across have gone down precipitously since uh, we saw in the early months of 2019. And a lot of credit is being given to the fact that the Mexicans are finally doing their job on their side of the border and possibly uh, in the interior of their country as well. Uh, the Mexicans know, obviously, that uh, trade with the United States is a very important thing. They don't want to be paying higher prices. 
But at least so far, uh, the Mexicans who have uh, consistently looked the other way about the influx of people illegally uh, flooding to the their northern border, our southern border, at the moment, they seem to be serious about doing their job. And so far, it's paying off for us big time. Greg, that's the kind of pick that makes me say, dang it, I should have picked that one. But I'm <laughs> glad I didn't because that means we have two different options. All right, let's talk about the worst political idea. I'm guessing you had a few more ideas pop into your head here. So many contenders here, Greg. <laughs> so many. I try to think about like which one was the single most damaging. Like what was like the domino that made everything else fall forward from this? And I think I ended up, Greg, with the selection of Trump hiring Rudy Giuliani as his personal lawyer. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, with with, the, with all of the stuff that was going on with Hunter Biden and Burisma. If Donald Trump had called up Attorney General Barr and said, you know, I, I heard something dirty went on with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, Burisma, the Ukrainian government, uh, you guys should have somebody look into it. Barr probably would have done something, at least assigned some. All right, sniff around, see if there's anything here worth looking at. If there was any indication of any uh, improprieties in, in influencing U.S. policy or anything like that. And if Trump had done that, none of this would have happened. Right. This would have been the proper channel. It would have been perfectly within the jurisdiction of the Department of Justice. By the way, as mentioned on an episode of the, the editor's podcast a little while back, this is why it's a good idea for the Department of Justice and for an administration to target corruption wherever they find it. Because this means when you go after one of your political opponents over corruption, it just blends in with everything else. Right. You don't want to only be interested in corruption when it involves your political opponents. Go, go after everybody and then just let them slip in with the rest of them. But anyway, that uh, never would have happened. And uh, that's that's how things shook out. So, again, you know, I've been saying for a while, I think that the, the at minimum, uh, it was a potential conflict of interest. The Joe Biden should not have been the Obama administration's point man on Ukraine or Hunter Biden should not have taken this job. But you can't have both. So far, I've seen no evidence that laws were broken, but this is the sort of unethical behavior that is legal. But that doesn't mean the rest of us can't, you know, rhetorically flay the bejesus out of, of the Bidens over this. And, uh, you know, it's a fair game here. But the way the tr- president went around, went about it was probably the single most damaging, certainly the one that caused him the greatest consequences in terms of impeachment, uh, which is a great irony considering the length of the Mueller investigation. So uh, bad idea, Mr. President. And now you're living with the consequences. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, we joked uh, a while ago about whether uh, Rudy Giuliani was actually getting back on some sort of vendetta against Trump for how poorly he's defended him and some of the decisions he's made. I don't think that's actually the case, but uh, it it certainly has not uh, proven to be politically wise to do what they've done. Uh, And uh, I think most people think it was uh, definitely wrong. The question is whether it rises to impeachment. And that's where we follow along traditional party lines again, with the independents now swinging pretty much against it. But uh, we'll see what happens as the the big trial happens next year, Jim. As far as my nominee for worst idea of the year, the Green New Deal. Uh, we've had, obviously, climate activism and cap and trade and the Paris climate deal before, where the rich nations like us have to pay gobs of money to uh, poor and developing nations. Nonetheless, that wasn't enough. So now we have the Green New Deal. Uh, AOC and her allies were working on this. Whether we got the uh, early draft, the late draft, the draft that was never supposed to go public, which is probably true, 
Uh, they wanted to either uh, rebuild or retrofit every single building in the United States within the next 10 years because, you know, that's when the whole planet's going to go past the point of no return. Uh, so we got to retrofit every building to be energy efficient. We got to get rid of fossil fuels, literally get rid of fossil fuels. We're going to ban air travel. Um, bovine flatulation is out and on and on and on. It's just absolutely ridiculous. You could go line by line and, and, and talk about how none of this is going to work and uh, what it would mean in terms of taxes and restrictions on the American people. But an idea of this unseriousness deserves an unserious response. And I almost made this the best political theater of the year, Jim. But on the Senate floor earlier this year, Utah Senator Mike Lee spent quite a bit of time talking about how ridiculous this was. And here are a couple extended clips. This is, of course, a picture of former President Ronald Reagan. Uh, naturally firing a, a machine gun while riding on the back of a dinosaur. You'll notice a couple of important features here. Uh, first of all, uh, the rocket launcher uh, strapped to President Reagan's back. And then the stirring, unmistakable patriotism of the velociraptor holding up a tattered American flag, a symbol of all it means to be an American. Now, critics might quibble with this depiction of the climactic battle of the Cold War, because while awesome, in real life there was no climactic battle. There was no battle with or without velociraptors. The Cold War, as we all know, was won without firing a shot. But that quibble actually serves our purposes here today, Mr. President, because this image has as much to do with overcoming communism in the 20th century as the Green New Deal has to do with overcoming climate change in the 21st. The aspirations of the proposal have been called radical. They've been called extreme. But mostly, they're ridiculous. There isn't a single serious idea here, not one. Oh, he's not done. In a future without air travel, how are we supposed to get around the vast expanses of, say, Alaska during the winter. Well, I'll tell you how. Tauntauns, Mr. President. This is a beloved species of reptomammals native to the ice planet of Hoth. Now, while perhaps not as efficient in some ways uh, as airplanes or as snowmobiles, these hairy bipedal species of space lizards offer their own unique benefits. Not only are tauntauns carbon neutral, but according to a report a long time ago and issued far, far away, they may even be fully recyclable and usable for their warmth, especially on a cold night. Now, Jim, I'm not sure that the Founding Fathers envisioned that day on the Senate floor, but uh, I know you loved it because it uh, savages the Green New Deal and incorporates Star Wars. Maybe the greatest speech in congressional history. Uh, <laughs> I know, but I feel like George Washington's use of the rocket launcher in all of those battles, the Revolutionary War, and his riding the Velociraptor. Why is there not a statue of that on the National Mall? <laughs> Let's start the GoFundMe right now. I want to change my vote. That was the that speech was the best idea of the year. All right, on to our uh, boldest tactic for 2019, Jim. Yeah, and let me observe that when I come to to try to decide what was the boldest tactic of the year, I I, I decided to. Uh, put it to, you know, uh, which ones worked, right? I mean, by, by that standard, 
calling Mitch McConnell cocaine Mitch is a very bold tactic. Um, <laughs> but since it worked pretty well for Mitch McConnell and did not work for the um, Mr. Potato Head running in that West Virginia Senate primary, uh, it, it didn't work. I decided to go with the White House decision, no doubt directed by President Trump, to refuse to cooperate with the impeachment process at all. Um, and as of this recording, as far as we can tell, the, the White House and the president has paid either no price or minimal price for it. Um, they, they would not allow any witness to testify who, uh, uh, you know, who, who they could, you know, who could, unless they were compelled, uh, no turning over documents. Uh, it's, it's been a stone wall pretty much every step of the way. Uh, and I also noted that, you know, one of the things I was thinking about when we, you know, about a year ago, when we were preparing for the, uh, rise of a democratic house most administrations try to minimize their you know like they'll they'll turn over documents they'll go through the the motions of cooperating uh if you know in order to be able to persuade some future judge in litigation over access to documents or something like that but generally uh you, you go through the motions of helping and maybe you withhold the stuff that they really want and able to claim executive privilege nope this administration largely ignores subpoenas from the house um, and this is, you know, you, this is the sort of thing which, you know, again, we, if we care about constitutional government, hey, Congress has that authority, right? It doesn't matter if you think the member, the chairman of the committee is a doofus, right? You know, you, if he's in that position, he's elected to his office, he's entitled to the full powers of that office. The same way the president of the United States is entitled to the full powers of his office, even if people think he's a doofus. Um, White House refused to cooperate. And as far as I can tell, Greg, they did not pay any price for it in public opinion or support from Republicans or, or anything like that. Um, you know, bold tactic. And as of this recording, it looks like it worked for them. Yeah, we'll uh, see how the, the trial unfolds. But uh, with the unlikelihood of witnesses, at least at this point, we'll uh, probably get a fairly short trial, which is good news, unfortunately, for the Senate Democrats running for president. But uh It'll also uh, wrap this up fairly quickly for President Trump, at least from what we're seeing right now. Uh, Jim, I think uh, tactic that worked uh, is, is a fairly good standard. I don't always go with that because one year I chose uh, Trump's decision to meet with Kim Jong-un. That obviously ultimately did not work out very well. In fact, it has not worked out very well at all. But uh, in terms of uh, works in progress, uh, I'm going to go with something that happened very recently, and that is the sanctuary movement in Virginia. Back in uh, November, of course, the Democrats uh, won uh, majorities in both uh, houses of the General Assembly. There's a Democratic governor, Ralph Northam. And then you have these counties and cities, uh, dozens of them now, I think closing in on 100 overall, uh, declaring themselves sanctuary counties or cities or townships or whatever the locality happens to be. And they're saying, look, if uh, we think that what comes out of Richmond is uh, unconstitutional, we are saying that we don't plan to enforce this. Now, it gets into a dicey area, obviously, because uh, if you live in a state, uh, state laws are things you need to abide by. But it's fun to watch this go in the opposite direction of the sanctuary cities and counties as it related to immigration, because the media and the Democrats thought this was just great. Power to the people, man. Stick it to the man. Don't believe for a second that you have to follow those rules and hand dangerous people that are currently incarcerated and happen to be in the country illegally over to the feds as soon as their sentence runs out. That's ridiculous. But then when uh, it comes to the Second Amendment, they're horrified, horrified that people would rebel against higher political levels, such as the state in this case. So, uh, Jim, not sure how it'll work out. Not sure exactly what the legislation will look like coming out of Richmond, although I'm sure it'll be pretty horrible. Uh, And then we'll see what happens after that. We've talked about how there's 
talk about Northam possibly calling out the National Guard to enforce that. I think that is hyperbole in the extreme, but uh, we'll see. Uh, we generally like to have power in the hands of the people, and, and uh, it, it's good to see people standing up for their Second Amendment rights. And uh, I'm not sure how it'll shake out, but it's fun to watch. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of us could live very happily with one standard applied consistently. Yes, right? you know, the idea that either you have to obey the laws or you don't. Uh, either you, you know, either, either a state law is binding, and uh, counties and cities cannot opt out of them because they object to it. Uh, you know, again, we have a, by the way, if you think a law is unconstitutional, we do have a political process to, to handle that, right? That's what the Supreme Court is there for. It's supposed to make the argument, whoa, 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 you passed this law, but somewhere in here it violated the Bill of Rights. That has, you know, uh, and by the way, I think that will almost certainly happen. The only thing that's preventing, uh, you know, various gun rights organizations and gun owners in Virginia from filing these laws is the laws haven't been enacted yet. <laughs> you know, they'll be looking for an injunction within milliseconds of, the, of uh, you know, Northam signing it into law. But also, like, you know, sanctuary cities, if you think U.S. immigration laws are, are fundamentally unjust, there's a process to do that, too. And by the way, the Supreme Court did say that state and authorities cannot enforce laws that the feds refuse to in that infamous case in Arizona. So, you know, the, I, it, it, what it really basically what you begin to realize is that enormous number of people who are in elected office and who take an oath swearing to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution basically believe that if they don't like a, they should only have to enforce the laws they like. And that's, you know, like that's a really dangerous path to go down because it means the law isn't really the law. Now, is there always going to be a certain level of prosecutorial discretion? Yes. Our cop, you know, cops don't pull over everybody who's going one mile over the speed limit you know judgment calls have to be made but if the criteria for what laws we choose to enforce is not logistics or anything like that, but it's something as fundamental as partisan politics man you know people that people want to you know preserve the constitution constitution's already lost if people believe the laws don't really apply if you, you, you if people believe that the those who are in our government don't have to enforce the law if they don't personally like it i suppose the democrats who are coming into power could be a nominee for this, too, because they're planning to just go to the extremes on this. I know Northam has kind of walked back the idea of confiscating weapons or making it illegal to own weapons that they're going to ban, even if you bought them when they was perfectly legal to do so. Uh, so Democrats plan to go uh, hog wild in Richmond. And uh, as we talked about earlier this month, uh, it might be useful for uh, Republicans in 2020 to say, look, if you give the Democrats a lot of power in Washington or anywhere else, this is what it's going to look like. So uh, it could be helpful in some ways. It just stinks that we have to be the pawns in this game, Jim. Yeah. Nice if you guys could work this out separately and we could just keep living under the laws we like, <laughs> the laws that are there. Crazy, crazy thing about. Oh, I know. I know. All right. Well, uh, we've hit the weekend, Jim. It's Friday. Congratulations. And then uh, we'll be back on Monday uh, with uh, the fifth out of our six installments of year-end awards. We're almost at the end of 2019. Hard to believe. See you Monday. Have a good weekend. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Really glad you were with us today. Don't forget to let us know what you think uh, are the best choices for today's categories. And also, subscribe to the podcast, uh, leave us a nice review, and we'll see you again on Monday.